Today we're continuing the sermon series that we've entitled Recover. And we're going to be looking today at steps 10 and 11. Last week I preached following uh, being in here. I went over to Crosswalk and after the service, one of the uh, younger people in the service came and said, what is AA? And I thought, well, you know, there may be some people who don't know exactly what AA is. It's been around for a long time, but you know, you just can't uh, assume. So I want to give just a brief introduction to AA, just a little reminder to some of us here. In 1935, a man named Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob Smith, these two men uh, were the ones who started Alcoholics Anonymous. And they They drew their inspiration for the 12 steps from an Oxford group who advocated that all problems rooted in fear and selfishness could be changed through the power of God by following four absolutes. We hear about the 12 steps, but what about these four absolutes? A moral inventory of absolute honesty, purity, unselfishness, and love, and through public sharing and confession. Now, it does not surprise me that that Bill Wilson and Bob Smith got their inspiration from an Oxford group, because what started the Methodist movement was exactly that, was small groups called bands and classes that met together along the same lines of these absolutes to hold one another accountable and to confess to one another. So Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 steps that we're talking about is so much in keeping with our tradition. Alcoholics Anonymous follows these guidelines as a way of life And in doing so, believe that they can expel the obsession to drink and and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. The purpose is to recover from the compulsive, out-of-control behaviors and restore manageable and order to life. Now, AA has been a part of this church for so many years. And of course, across the street, we, uh, we say it all the time, we have so many groups and so many people, some 950 people a week, who are dealing with behaviors and also substance abuse. It's not just Alcoholics Anonymous anymore, but that tradition and that classic following of the steps is so much a part of this church's heritage. Now let me remind us of these two steps we're dealing with today. Step 10, these will come up on the screen. Continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admit it. And step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that will out. 
You know, it strikes me that a person who has progressed to steps 10 and to 11 is on a committed journey that has led into a holy lifestyle of continuous evaluation involving communion and fellowship with God and an other's orientation that is so very important. Praying for the will and the power to carry out this new life is what we're talking about today. And we're going to have these steps reinforced today from Colossians, Paul's letter, the third chapter. We'll begin with the 12th verse today, and I'd like to ask us all to stand for the reading of God's Word. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. What I love about these steps that we're looking at today, in light of this passage that we've just read today, is that it is our relationship with God and allowing God to dress us. This will bring about that lifestyle. The understanding that the 12 steps bring to what Paul is talking about is an understanding that we don't dress ourselves. The Holy Spirit dresses us with these wonderful qualities that become our lifestyle. And through these qualities, we take inventory of ourselves And we also respond to others. Paul said, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I got word yesterday that Dr. Jim Moore, the great preacher and pastor and author in our denomination, is pretty sick right now. He's here in Dallas. But his ministry for years was actually in Houston. He was the pastor of St. Luke's United Methodist Church, a great church in Houston. And so many of us across our United Methodist Connection have found ourselves in love with his preaching largely through his books. He's written dozens of books. And these books have not only shared important uh, 
concepts, theological concepts and kind of sermon style, but also some wonderful stories. And I'd like to share one of those stories today. In fact, I'd like to say about his books that we've even used Jim Moore's books in our prison ministry for years. And those inmates love those books. And you know that a lot of the inmates are in recovery too, right? And they look at Jim's books, though they're not AA-type books. They're books that underscore the 12 steps and especially these for today. I think we may have a picture of Jim Moore that we could put up just to get him in our thoughts. There's Jim. Be praying for him. Today I want to share Jim's thoughts and this story and want us also to be in prayer for Jim and June And we're so thankful for the ministry that he has brought, they have brought to our world. Jim said in one of his books, compassion is aware, tuned in, responsive, and sensitive to the needs of others. That's important. Compassion is aware, tuned in, responsive, sensitive to the needs of others. Jim said further, it happened on a Father's Day some years ago. He said he had just preached the 8.30 service that morning and he had gone to teach his Sunday school class and he'd finished teaching his Sunday school class and he was running upstairs to his office and frantically trying to get to the office to skim over his sermon notes just one more time. You know, when you preach a sermon and then teach a class, You you kind of wonder if you are teaching or preaching, you know. And Jim said he was was trying to get to that 11 o'clock service on time and he just had a few minutes. And there as he got into the hallway, there was a line of people there to see it. He said people were waiting there. Someone uh, wanted to tell him about a friend who had been taken to the hospital. He said some former members who had moved away had come back and they wanted to just say hi and it was good to be back home. He said there was a young couple standing there. He just married them two weeks past and they were there fresh from their honeymoon and wanted to tell him how much they appreciated the service that he had performed. And three staff members were there to remind him of announcements that needed to be made at the upcoming service. And an usher was there with a note that said someone had uh, left their car running and the keys were locked inside. Another staff member was there to introduce him to some visitors who were potential members. And one more staff was there telling him that the two babies that were to be baptized in that next service at 11 o'clock, the families, neither one of them were there. Now, other than that, his mind was completely clear and on his sermon. He said by the time he worked his way through that group that had gathered, he said it was four minutes until 11. He said it was really bedlam. He said he was trying to deal with, uh, uh, with, with getting his mind around his sermon. He picked up his Bible. He picked up his hymnal and his sermon notes. He was throwing on his robe and suddenly he felt a persistent tug at the back of his robe. He said he turned around and it was his daughter Jody. She was eight years old at the time. She had worked her way through the crowd, tugging on his robe and insisting 
that he bend down because she had something very important to tell him and show him. He said his first response was, how can I really do this? I need to just tell her we can, we can pick up there after church. But he decided that he would give her the time she was requesting. So he said he just shut everything down and he knelt down so that he could be eye to eye with Jody. And she said, Daddy, it's Father's Day and I have a present for you. And sure enough, she did. It was a card that she had made in Sunday school that very day. She presented him with his Father's Day card that she'd made out of construction paper in Crayolas. The front cover had a big picture of the earth. And it said underneath it, to the bestest father in the whole wide world. And on page two was a Polaroid picture of Jody making the card in Sunday school class that was taken by her teacher. And it was taped there inside the card. And on page three, there were the words, happy birthday, and then marked out, oops. And then underneath that was, I mean, happy Father's Day. And beneath that was the footnote, everybody makes mistakes. The back cover had three more words. I love you. He said after reading that card aloud, Jody's face lit up with a proud smile and she wrapped her arms around his neck and she hugged him really tight and she whispered in his ear, Daddy, I love you even when it's not Father's Day. And he hugged her back and he said for that moment we became the whole world for one another time stood still he said think of what I would have missed if I'd said to her not now Jody I'm really really busy I've got to get to church think of what that would have done to her spirit he said I was a few minutes late for church that day but it didn't really matter because somewhere in heaven, God was smiling really, really big. You know, dressed for recovery is all about doing what Jim Moore was, was saying to us. It, it's all about dressing with compassion and being sensitive to the needs of others. Sometimes time just has to stop. And we need to know that the most important role that we have to play is the Holy Spirit speaking to us to stop and take care of that one who is in your presence. That's what step 10 is telling us. You have to constantly be taking inventory. You have to constantly be, be sensitive to the movement of the Spirit. There are times that you need to just seize the day and do what the Spirit leaves with another. Sometimes it's making amends, like we talked about last Sunday. And sometimes it's just being you for someone else who needs you at that time. 
Paul goes on to say, Bear with one another and forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you must forgive. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule your heart, to which indeed you were called into one body. And then be thankful. Be thankful. I want to end my sermon today by remembering one whom we lost a few weeks ago. She used to sit right over here with my wife, Tammy. They sat together for years and years and years. Of course, I'm talking about Nancy Joy Warnock, who many of you know. Uh, My kids called her Miss Nancy, and a lot of other people called her Miss Nancy, too, all of her life. You know, when I think of being dressed for recovery, I think about Nancy's life. Nancy was dressed for recovery. I remember when Tammy and I and our children, Zach, who was 12 years old, and Emily, who was six, moved here to Dallas. I came home from church one day and I announced to Tammy that I had met a woman named Nancy and Nancy said she wanted to keep our kids. Tammy's eyebrows kind of went up. Okay. And at that time, we were having home gathering meetings because we'd just gotten here to Dallas and we were having meetings nearly every night, visiting with you about your hopes and dreams for this church and looking forward to ministry together meeting people, getting names. We needed a babysitter, all right. And so Nancy came to the door. And she said in her louder-than-normal Chicago voice, Hi, I'm Nancy, and I would love to keep your kids, and I won't accept one penny for it. So here we were in the new city needing a babysitter and wondering if we should gamble on this too-good-to-be-true offer. But it was better than that. It was one of the greatest blessings of our lives. Nancy Joy became a grandmother of sorts to our children right here in Dallas. Even though Zach made it very clear to her on her first babysitting mission with our kids, Nancy said that he pulled her over to the side and said, You know, Miss Nancy, you're not really babysitting me, don't you? You're babysitting Emily. Because I'm 12 years old and I really don't need a babysitter. But Emily and Nancy, they became quick friends. They always referred to each other with their middle names. It was Emily Grace and Nancy Joy. Emily played a few recorded messages that she still has on her phone from Nancy. And they are hilarious. I remember... um, how they would spend time at Six Flags riding the roller coasters. Yeah, Nancy and Emily. They would go to the neighborhood pool. You've seen those T-shirts, haven't you, that look like a tuxedo? You've seen those T-shirts look like a tuxedo? Kind of tacky, but they're fun. <laughs> Miss Nancy would go to the, to, the, the pool, and she had a, a, a T-shirt too, and it was a woman in a bikini. 
And Emily loved that. She just thought that was the funniest thing. And they would sit there and Emily would swim and then they'd have pizza and it'd always be uh, Papa John's delivered and it was spinach Alfredo. That sounds absolutely terrible to me. It's been fun to remember some of those fun times that make us laugh. Her son Larry sent me a little thank you note that he and his sisters had gotten together on that he wants to read at her memorial service in a couple of weeks. It reminded me of what Paul said about being thankful. He said, we wanted to make sure that we got to say thank you as well as to say goodbye, Mom. Thank you for being such a dedicated mother. Thank you for always putting us first. You put us first when we were little children, nurturing us, letting us grow, letting us find our way, but always there to pick us up when we fail and encourage the song. You put us first when we were a bit older and, we went, and you went through a divorce. The heartache and pain you must have felt, yet you kept the home happy, focused, on moving forward and teaching us how to be young adults with independence and positive attitudes. Yes, it was a sad time for all of us. But quite frankly, the fun times and the happiness are what sticks out in our collective memories. That was you that did that. You put us first as we grew through our teen years and coming of age. You encouraged us to try new things, to be involved in whatever we wanted. Never saying no because of lack of money or lack of ability to move us from place to place. Wow. You not only did the work of two parents, but four or five. Girl Scouts, summer camp, rainbow girls, Drill team, soccer, choir, guitar lessons, horseback riding, baseball, junior achievement, theater, and many other things. We never felt left out. Somehow you found the time and the money to do all of those things for us. And we are sure it was at a great sacrifice to your needs and your desires. You know, Nancy would always leave me these little meaningful, encouraging phone messages. Oh, well, sometimes she called me just to gripe about something. But usually her messages would all, even when she griped, would leave me smiling. Because I couldn't wait to call her back and tell her what I really thought about her message. She'd send me cards all the time. Cards for the anniversary of me being her pastor. Cards for birthday. Cards for anniversary, our wedding anniversary, all the time. And, and just the other day, I received a card that Nancy had bought some months ago for my birthday. She knew that she would have to be dependent upon someone else to mail it, so she put a little sticky note on it. Be sure and mail this to Stan on the 17th so he'll get it on the 19th. You know, after Nancy had a stroke and surgery and it was clear that she was declining fast I visited her in the hospital and I reminded her of the last time that I saw her at church it was at a concert over in 
in Ship Chapel, our, our choir was in, it was a beautiful night. And then we had a, a reception afterwards in Asbury Hall. And I, I remembered Nancy that night. She was dressed to the nines. She was so beautiful. And you could tell she felt so good. And I reminded her she was not feeling good in the hospital. That that wasn't too many weeks ago. And maybe you can get back to that place when you felt so good. She said, all I really want is to get back to church. I love my church. We had a special relationship. She shared her struggles with me in true recovery form. She shared her doubts and fears. She was one who worked on her stuff. I remember I preached a sermon once on forgiveness and she called me and she said, do you have to forgive everyone? <laughs> she shared with me as one who was always taking personal inventory. And when she was wrong, she promptly admitted it. She sought through prayer and worship and her church to always improve her relationship with God and with other people. You know, I've been blessed by her life and many of you have too. She was clothed, dressed for recovery. You know, the most important message is that the Holy Spirit dresses us. And, and we put on compassion, then humility and meekness and patience and forgiveness and love and peace and thanksgiving. And we're dressed to the nines. How often do we check our recovery clothes to see how we look? It's all about that important, enriching relationship that we have with God. That's what we're working on right here. And that relationship with God that turns our attention always, always, always to others. And always taking inventory about how we're doing with others. When the Lord dresses us, we look good. We behave well and make a difference in the lives of others and we change the world. Amen.